Are you ready? Because it's time to talk at Tea's Talk Time. everyone and welcome to another episode of Tea's Talk Time. Yes, I'm your host, Teresa Smith. Today's episode is titled An Interview with Sean Tyler Foley. Sean Tyler Foley is an accomplished film and stage performer and has been acting in film and television since he was six years old after his father passed away suddenly in a motor vehicle accident. He has appeared in productions including Freddy vs. Jason, Door to Door, Carrie, and the musical Ragtime. Tyler is passionate about helping others confidently take the stage and impact an audience with their stories. He is currently the managing director of Total Buy-In and author of the number one best-selling book, the power to speak naked. Tyler is a father, husband, son, and performer in that order. Some days he feels like he has dabbled in every industry on the planet, from oil and gas to aviation to film and television, but that diverse experience is what has made him so versatile. Regardless of the industry or the titles he has held, what they all had in common was promoting and encouraging people to be heard and understood. The skills and resources he has garnered along the way have enabled him to become an entertaining professional speaker and a knowledgeable trainer who inspires others to reach for their dreams. Today, Tyler works with executives and CEOs, helping them show up powerfully behind the mic to gain the exposure they need. Tyler is also a veteran podcast guest with over 300 appearances on episodes with topics ranging from leadership, safety, to overcoming adversity. If you'd like to connect with Tyler, you can go to his website, www.endlessstages.com. And now, please help me welcome Sean Tyler Foley to Tea's Talk Time. <laughs> welcome, Tyler. And thank you for having me here, T. Okay, so let's dive right in. The first question is, how did your journey as an author begin? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think I, I've been creative writing for a very long time. Like even in my you know, elementary school years, I think the first time I ever had something published in an anthology was in the fourth grade. Now it was just like a, an anthology of works done by students in the local school division. Mm -hmm. But I, I remember I, uh, in fourth grade having a poem published and uh, sixth grade having a, a short story published. So I, you know, when I look back on it, I've always been, I've always written uh, regularly. And, um, you know, even 
improvisationally, uh, especially going to a fine arts high school and and doing musical theater and theater, I had a um, a pension for just uh, creative writing, whether it was actually written down, whether it was scripts or whatever. But I didn't start really considering writing a book and being like a published author in the traditional sense, the way that we would think of, you know, going to a, a Barnes and Noble and picking up a book with my name on it kind of thing until probably five or six years ago. And then not seriously until about four years ago. And a lot of that was, was prompted by requests from event organizers when they would book me to speak. And they'd all ask, do you have a book? And I'd be like, no, don't have a book. And you could just kind of sense this, oh, <laughs> in their response. Like they know, nobody ever said, oh, well, you need one. But I could tell that um, it would be better if I did. And so that really started to prompt me to pursue getting something out there and really focusing on getting a book written and done. Okay. Wonderful answer. What is the title of your favorite childhood book? Oh, um, I have a few. My actually, you know what? It's fun. The Monster at the End of This Book. It's such a simple little book um, with Grover from Sesame Street. I, I love that book. I love reading that book uh, to my daughter. It's just, it's a, a fun book. My mom read it to me. I absolutely loved it. Um, I did a lot of reading when I was younger. So if I had to pick one, that would probably be it. But then as I moved on in, um, in years, there was a, a, a young adult fiction book called On the Devil's Court, which I thought was just fascinating. Uh, I loved basketball. I played basketball in junior high. And that's when I came across this book. And it just kind of spoke to me. It was uh, an interesting theological discussion about um fate and free will and you know which is which and and do they blend and do we have it and um you know framed around fast and and a deal with the devil and basketball so it spoke to me i really like that one and believe it or not i actually read um the hobbit quite regularly as a child so um you know all tolkien and, and all of those are you know, I, I really enjoyed all those books. So sorry, I couldn't give you one. But if I had to, if we have, if you're going to force me to one, the monster at the end of this book. <laughs> That's okay. Lots of times we have many books that we enjoy as we grow, like you said. And I have to recommend the book with the about the basketball to my son because he's so into that sport. He's 16 years old, so I'll recommend that book for him to read. It's a great book. And do tell me how, yeah, offline, when we're done our our conversation, after he reads it, do let me know how it goes for him, because I think it's a, it's a really good read, really well written, too. I certainly will. Okay, next question. What, then, is the title of your favorite book as an adult? Oh, that's easy. The Fool's Progress by Edward Abbey. I think it is one of the greatest American novels ever written uh, by one of the most underrated American um, novelists of, of this, well, last century. Um, it, it is a complete story in all ways. It's, a, it's also a very large book. I think it's over 400 pages. Um, 
and semi-autobiographical and the main character, Henry Lightcap. One of the things that I love the most about the book, when you start reading it, within the first four chapters, you can't stand Henry. Like he is an anti-hero and you do not like him. And you're like, this man is intolerable, insufferable and a horrible human being. And by the end of the book, you're in love with Henry and your heart weeps for him and his journey. And, um, and I, my hat off to Edward Abbey. Every time I read it, I read that book probably twice a year. Awesome. Okay. So what inspires you to write? as a writer what is your what do you use as a catalyst or what is your inspiration for writing uh for me partly because i most of what i write is um non-fiction is everyday life um i i'm inspired hourly by the things around me the people i interact with my wife my daughter my mom my sister uh people that i coach people that i am coached by um, people I work with, people I work around. I find inspiration in just about everywhere. And then when I do do um, you know, fictional writing, and again, I don't, I'm not really a novelist, but I do do, I still do poetry. Um, and I often write song lyrics for my band because um, I, don't, I don't compose music, so I need to contribute some way. Um, oftentimes, that, that's, I'm drawing inspiration from what I see around me as well. Um, so, you know, it, it's, the, it's the little things, I suppose, in life that, you know, if it catches your attention, it probably will catch somebody else's attention. So I always, I always pay attention to when uh, something grabs my eye or when uh, something pulls my focus, and then that, that usually is where I'm starting to draw the inspiration from in the exploration of why did it do that? Okay. So how do you resolve issues that other authors face, such as writer's block? Have you ever experienced that as a writer? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, every day. Um, I have a couple of different methods. One of the things that I like to do is um, just walk away, right? Like I don't, I don't need to force myself to write, but the other thing is too, I do have a habit of writing. Um, I tend to block off time. For me, my most creative hours are in the evening. So I'll block off if there's, I have a time for creativity, whether that has to be writing uh, for my book, writing for my blog, writing ad copy, um, help, ghost writing for my clients for their signature speeches or their keynote presentations, um, putting together uh, video copy and scripts, um, or even just for me, like having to learn songs or having to memorize, um, lines, I, I tend to slot that in for the evening, usually about nine and 11. I'm very disciplined about that, where this is, this is creativity time. And, uh, if I do find that I'm stumbling on words, I walk away or I do something else, you know, um, I give my, I, I tend to give myself a lot of grace in that it just isn't coming to me. The other thing is, um, you know, I'm not afraid to brainstorm with other people or throw up a, a question in social media um, related to whatever problem I'm having. You know, what's the time where you experienced X, Y, Z? And then I see what other people come back with. And often that that's enough to get the spark flowing again. Good. It's good to take a break. Um, mm -hmm. with whatever work you're doing. Sometimes it helps you to 
recharge your batteries and come back fresh on a topic. So you've mm -hmm. already stated this, but maybe you can just restate it for our audience. Um, what genres do you write in? Uh, typically, I'm nonfiction. So I do uh, nonfiction and, and if a specific category would be um, nonfiction business. Uh, as a public speaker coach, that tends to be my focus is helping people be better with stage presence, um, better communicators. So uh, nonfiction business and, and communication strategies. But uh, again, I, it's, that's, that's my main genre that I'm writing in. Mm -hmm. um, but I find that I'm writing every day. So again, I'm, you know, scripts for YouTube videos and YouTube content. I'm, I'm writing my speeches and my presentations. I'm oftentimes writing poetry, <laughs> going through the, the podcast that I've done and transcribing out some of the, the more um, poignant quotes that I've come up with. Um, so I, I'm, I tend to write fairly regularly, but the main the main category is the nonfiction and business and communication strategies. Yeah. And I would consider the book that we're going to discuss later, I would consider that to be a self-help book. I would put it in that category as well. Yeah, it, it definitely is, especially because the uh, a good chunk of the book deals with um, overcoming limiting beliefs, self-doubt. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I, I could see it being categorized under that as, as well. Yes. So why did you choose that specific, those specific genres to write in? And are you planning to explore writing in other genres other than poetry, other than nonfiction, other than like self-help? Do you see yourself in the future writing in a whole different genre? Um, I don't know. Uh, specifically me as a single author but i definitely will you know I, I i'm workshopping a new musical right now and i'm helping with the with the script and and so as a uh, amateur dramaturg uh putting together uh, a play and being a playwright um, and that's really really fun and and exciting so yes i'm exploring that and um yeah, I've actually, I, I have considered, especially with my daughter at the age that she is now, um, getting into fiction children's literature, like, you know, writing some children's books, uh, or at the very least helping her write some books. Like she has some creative stories. I'd love to just write them down. And I've got uh, a very large network of people who can help with the publishing and the, um, you know, illustrations. And, and actually, my daughter's a, a remarkable, she's seven years old. So I'm, I, you know, when I say remarkable artist, she's, she's still drawing like a seven-year-old, but it's very, very detailed. Like she's very creative, um, very expressive with her artwork. And I'm actually really proud of it. And in my studio where we are recording right now, mm -hmm. uh, just up the stairs uh, to, the, uh, to the next level, I have three of her paintings and oftentimes people will come down and they're like oh those those are really pretty who did those and i'll be like kenzie did them and they'll be like no i'm like yeah yeah she did so you know i wouldn't be surprised if she was able to illustrate her own book and maybe add some authenticity to it but um it is something that i've thought about exploring um is 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 children's books you know um 
and and if anything, giving Kenzie a voice to be a published author herself, so that uh, she could publish her own work because her stories are fantastic as well. That's a beautiful idea. I actually have written children's books myself, and I have one romance novel. So you see my eyes lighting up. Anything to yeah. do with children, my eyes, I go like a Christmas tree. Yeah. <laughs> so yes, I say encourage her while she's young. Mm -hmm. um, so what is your favorite genre to read? And why is that your favorite genre? Oh, that's such a good question. I, I don't have, I, I, I can't answer it because I, I love to, I'm a voracious reader. I love to read all genres. And like, I, I think of the last five books that I've read, Fool's Progress, uh, Money Mastering the Game. Um, I tend to, I tend to alternate between a fiction book and then a nonfiction book. I was rereading the Dune series uh in anticipation of the movie coming out i love frank herbert i actually like a lot of frank herbert's other work beyond the dune um series uh like ascension i think is a fantastic book so and so i you know a lot of the uh non-fiction that i read is um sci-fi it's not fan i don't really read a lot of fantasy stuff although I absolutely love the Harry Potter books. Mm -hmm. um, so I, 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 there isn't a single genre, you know, like even with Kenzie, like I'm, uh, we'll read um, YA uh, fiction. And I love some of the stories that we read when we do that. Um, and then she likes when I read to her, like we, we, I, every summer we read the Hobbit together. I reread the Lord of the Rings usually every couple of years um, the, the whole trilogy. So I, I, yeah, there isn't, there isn't a single genre. I just, I really like to read. I like the exercise of it. Um, but I do know that I alternate between fiction and nonfiction. So after I've read a fiction book, I'll read a nonfiction book. And, and, and then I'm not even particular either because I'll, I'll bounce between like, uh, you know, finance and uh, self-help and motivation. And, um, you know, my favorite books, on my list like when everybody asks you know they're like what what book would you recommend because i know you're gonna ask so i'm gonna jump that gun right now we're gonna we're gonna get to that right now my favorite um fiction book obviously is the fool's progress by edward abbey my favorite non-fiction books is a toss-up between um the four agreements and uh the compound effect by Darren Hardy. I love those two books. In fact, I give them to all of my private coaching clients. I make them read it before we ever do any work together, uh, just because I believe so much in the principles that are taught within them. And I make them read The Fool's Progress because it's, a again, the, the perfect story. So I'm like, if you want to see how you weave narrative, um, this is how you weave narrative. So it's, it's part of my homework that I give to people that I work with privately. Okay. All right. So how many books have you written, Tyler? Um, published or non-published? Because <laughs> good question. <laughs> I, I have probably a half a dozen non-published books that I've written. I've uh, I have three published books, and um, one of them is a updated version, a revised version of the one. So I have the power to speak naked, and then the revised edition of the power to speak naked will come out in September. And I wrote another one that was self-published called um, uh, Total Buy-In, which was uh, um, 
a book on on best practices for safety and safety consulting. Okay. So you've answered my next question. I don't have to ask it. <laughs> but right now for a little bit, we're gonna focus on the power to speak naked. That's what we're gonna focus on now because that's the book that mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to read. Um, mm -hmm. And so what caught my eye right away was the acknowledgements and the people you thanked and stated uh, were it not for them, this book would not be possible. And not only did you speak of your family, your wife, your daughter, um, but you spoke of your teachers and that caught my eye right away because I'm a retired teacher. And mm -hmm. um, it made me feel like so many times teachers feel like they, that people forget them and they feel like that their work goes unnoticed. And um, for you to put that in, in the beginning of your book and the acknowledgements, it really stood out to me because most people will acknowledge other people in their lives before they teachers, like they mm -hmm. did not ever get in the book. So that stood out for me. Also, um, there were other parts of the book. As the book started to unfold, I felt like it was almost like um, a roadmap to being able to speak in public well. Mm -hmm. And some of the things that I wanted to zoom in on and hope I was hoping that you might share without giving away everything in the book with mm -hmm. the audience, I felt that I wanted you to share with them some points about uh, the five P's, not all of them, the four yeah. P's. Yep. And um, there was one other thing that I really wanted uh, you to share, how to deal with nerves. Because <laughs> oh, yes. I think that's a biggie. I think that's a biggie out of the gate when you have to go up and speak with to a large audience, especially. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Well, let's let's tackle that one first, and then we can we can get to the to the four P's and the five P's and why there's four and five and why that can be confusing and why they're different. Uh, but we'll definitely uh, jump on the first one first, and that is how do you deal with nerves? And the answer is however works best for you. So one of the things that I like to explore in the book are the various different things that I have used over thirty five years in in on stage. Uh, to really find a way to be comfortable on stage. So the first thing that I usually encourage everybody to do is understand that confidence comes through competence. Mm. And the best way to be competent at something is to do it repeatedly. So instead of focusing on perfection, because uh, you never will achieve it, I've been doing this for 35 years. I've never given a perfect presentation in my entire life. But what I have done is continually looked for improvement. Mm -hmm. And as we start to refine and hone and polish ourselves, the smoother and smoother we get, right? It's kind of like, I remember the first time I ever saw an uncut diamond thinking that, that, that is so ugly. Why would anybody even buy that? Like, how is that a valuable gemstone? Mm -hmm. And, and it made me realize that, you know, Something like that only gets its fine finish through repeated effort. 
you have to continually polish it over and over and over again like a a, a polishing stone is constantly grinding down at that rough surface to make it smooth and that's the same thing with public speaking if you're you know, if you're nervous speaking in front of people, the only way to really get over those nerves is to do it. Think of the first time you ever rode a bike or, or drove a car. You know, I remember the first time I drove a car and I was young. The first time I drove a car, the first car that I ever drove was my grandfather's um, Chevy pickup truck. <laughs> and uh, um, it, you know, I had to, it, I only had to go like five feet down uh down with what isn't even there wasn't even a road we were just going down at troughs and we were feeding the cattle and i i literally just needed to move it a, a little bit for him uh so that he could uh get access to uh to one of the uh mangers and um i was i was absolutely terrified like i didn't know what to do i remember over revving the engine before i even put it into drive and then that scared me and like i was terrified and now if you asked me to go and move the, the truck five feet, I, would, I, would, I wouldn't even blink. It wouldn't even be a, an issue, right? You just go in and move the car five, five feet. Sure, why do I? My, I would be more concerned with why do I have to move it than the fact that I needed to move it. You know what I mean? And it's, it's through repeated effort that you're going to find comfort within anything. But I recognize that before you can get to that point, you need to overcome those initial fears. A lot of what we talk about in the book are the breathing exercises. Um, breath has an incredible ability to calm us, to focus us, and to center us in one of the uh, tools that I highly recommend. And it's a free app. I don't, I don't even get anything for the plug. I wish I had some kind of an affiliate code for them because I drop it all the time. Um, whether you're on Apple or on an Android device, if you search Prana Breath, Okay. It's a fantastic app and they have various breathing cycles that you can do uh, to either calm or focus or one of the ones that I really um, like to do is a power breath. And all of those things, when you use them in conjunction, have this ability to first calm you down, to focus your mind, focus your energy, and then energize you so that you feel confident going out. And a lot of the things that I talk about in the book too are um, pre-talk routines. Um, I think that, you know, like any elite athlete, they, they're going to be visualizing a successful outcome. And then uh, further to that, they, they get into habits, right? They become very ritualistic in the way that they do things. And so anytime I go on stage, prior to me going on stage, I'm doing the same things over and over and over again to get my mind and my body triggered to know that now is go time and this is the time to do it. So that would be how I would, the first initial bits of advice on getting over that stage fright and um, getting over and really trying to calm those nerves. Uh, the other thing is too, by the way, drink water. Find you're nervous, as weird as it sounds, drink water. Uh, a lot of times uh, we're dehydrated and we're not actually feeling nerves. We're feeling um, our body's craving of liquid. <laughs> so uh, if you find that you're, and it, it will, it will slow, the, just the simple act of swallowing will slow your heartbeat. So that is, uh, that would be my recommendations. Okay. I'll take that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, back to the peas. Yeah. Um, the five P's and the four, they're two different things. Like they are all together. Um, yeah. 
you don't have to share all of them because again, we want people to pick up the book and find yeah. out what how many there are and what they are. But maybe share one of the five Ps and maybe share one of the four Ps with our audience. Sure. So uh, the five Ps, I will share them all, but I'll let everybody read to discover what they are. The five Ps are plan, prepare, practice, present, and participate. And um, I'll focus on the last one, participate, because it's usually the one that most people um, don't do. And it's the simplest trick to not having to feel uncomfortable speaking. And that is have other people speak for you. So when I'm asking people to, or when anytime I'm doing a presentation, um, I'm engaging my audience in that presentation because it's, it's boring if I just do it on my own. Mm -hmm. And so one of the, the quickest ways to make sure that your audience is both enjoying themselves is to have them participate in the talk with you. And so uh, it's, it's often, it, like I said, it's an overlooked trick so, so many times, but it is such an easy way to take the focus off of you. Cause that's usually why people uh, get nervous and have stage fright, right? We're not actually afraid of public speaking. True. Um, when people say that I'm afraid of public speaking, I'm like, really, when was the last time you were in a restaurant? And they kind of look at me. I'm like, because if you ordered food, not only were you able to speak in public, but you pro if you didn't know your wait staff, you spoke to a complete stranger. And if you got the food that you wanted, you were able to ask for what you want. So this notion that we're afraid to speak in public or we're afraid to speak to strangers or we're afraid to ask for what we want is completely null and void if you've ever been to a restaurant and gotten food delivered to your table. Mm -hmm. The reality is, is we're afraid of public judgment. And a lot of that comes with when the focus and the attention is directed to us. Um, we start to worry about how we're being perceived. And so if you focus on that, participate, participate in your discussion, have your audience participate with it, ask them questions, elicit their responses, listen to their experiences, have them be an active participant in your presentation. It takes the focus off of you. It puts the focus where it should be, which is your audience and, and making sure you serve them. And then you don't have to be a speaker or presenter. You become a facilitator. And that's when there's real true power for transformation within the room is when you can facilitate a discussion that illuminates an idea or a thought that you have through the discourse with other people and their experiences and being able to tie it together. So um, yeah, the five P's plan, prepare, practice, present, and participate are um, the, the, what they are and uh, the, I think participate being the um, the most important. Okay. So what about with the four Ps? You want to share one of those? Um, yeah. So the four Ps are uh, very closely related to the five Ps. Um, and a lot of it comes into the planning and preparation part of it. And I won't go into what the four Ps are, but what I will say is most people plan and prepare wrong. Where the majority of novice and even some professional speakers make the biggest mistakes 
is feeling that they need to memorize word for word a script. And 90% of their prep time is dedicated to rote memorization, mm -hmm. which does nobody any good. Um, because it, the, the biggest disservice that it does is to you and your audience because it locks you in to a single delivery form. So if, if I wanted to come down and visit you, right? You'd give me your address. Mm -hmm. And if I go, well, the only way that I can get to Miss Teresa is by private jet, <laughs> right? <laughs> now, this is the only way. It's the only way that I can get to you. Mm -hmm. And that's what is, that's essentially memorization. This is my only way to get to you. And the problem with that is, A, what if I can't afford that plane ticket? What if I can't afford the plane? What if the plane goes mechanical? What if we don't have a pilot? What if we encounter bad weather? What if you don't have a, a, a runway that will handle my aircraft to land directly at your house? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? All of these things are hindrances to me. So if anything goes wrong with that, I can't get to you. Mm -hmm. The reality is a presentation, I need to have waypoints. Right, there are bit there are parts in the presentation that are that are critical for me to deliver to you. The beginning and the end are usually those critical points. Everything else in the middle is how we get from the beginning to the end. So for me, I want to give the analogy of putting it into a GPS on your car, right? And as I start my journey to drive to you, there's construction, and so I get to hear Garmin go detouring, detouring. As long as I know where my end destination is and where I started from, I am able to do the detour. And so when I'm preparing and planning for a talk, I'm not spending my time memorizing a talk. What I'm doing is finding out about my audience, what their needs are, where I need to take them to, where they are starting from, because every audience is different. What is their background knowledge of what I'm about to present? How much of it do they have and where do I need to take them to serve them correctly? And then I have the ability to detour. And if, you know, my time gets taken away, like I was presenting in Dallas, I was supposed to have 25 minutes on stage. My 25 minutes got cut to five minutes. That was okay. Well, let's, let's do this. So now I, you know, what was this plan? I could, I could go to these different destinations on the way, right? Come on, kids, hop in the car. We're going to stop at, at the roadside attraction in every state on our way down. Became, okay, we don't have time to chit-chat, kids. Get in this car. Daddy's putting the pedal, and we're going to have to be on the freeway the whole time. And I might get a few speeding tickets along the way. But we're not stopping for any cop cars as we go. They're just going to have to follow us down, and they can ticket me later. You know, like that's, that's how it had to be. In fact, I had to get out for that one. I had to get out of the car and rent a helicopter. And I just took people from A to B. And I was just a, a very high priced Uber at that point. Um, but it, that, you know, that's really the, the, the most important thing is your prep work ahead of time shouldn't be memorizing a script. Your prep work ahead of time should be knowing your audience and what their needs are so that you can give the best presentation to them and constantly be delivering. And a lot of that comes with knowing who you are, what your material is, and being confident in it no matter what. Like, I can, I can make my presentation five minutes. I can make my presentation 30 seconds if I need to. Mm -hmm. You know, there are three key points that I need to hit home. 
here they are, and that's all it is. And then everything else becomes uh, exploratory exposition. Well, I must say this book has a lot of gems in it for those who are public speakers, and uh, they should definitely try to pick it up. So well, I appreciate the recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the question. What have you done to promote your books? Because we're talking to, in my author series, I'm trying to speak to, to authors, um, new authors, up and coming authors. So what do you do to promote your books? Um, honestly, one of the, the greatest tools to promote my book that I discovered over the last year, um, it's funny because it started at the bottom of the promotion pyramid. You know, it was like, I will do this thing, but it's not really where I'm going to get my most traction. And it ended up becoming not only the top of the pyramid, but something now that I, you want to talk about writing books, my next book is actually about how to podcast, huh? specifically for um, nonfiction authors who are entrepreneurs and business owners who are trying to get more awareness about what it is that they do through their book. Um, if this works for fiction authors, it works for, if you have a book of any kind, this, this works for you, but podcasts, what you and I are doing right now has given me the most traction and the most, um, ROI for my time and my money out of any of the other things. Like I had a, a funnel built for, you know, a free book promotion. I had a launch team. I had my publisher putting out paid ads in various trade publications for librarians and, um, you know, all of the trade folks that, that are purchasing and buying books, all of the bookstores. Uh, I did radio, I did television. I, what else did I do? I, I mean, I was promoting on my social media. I had social influencers promoting on their social media. None of that um, came close to the power of being on podcasts like yours. Like it, it, it amazes me how much something like Tease Talk Time does to promote authors and their books and the platform that you're providing us. And yours isn't the only show, you know, yours is probably the best show out there, but it isn't <laughs> the only show. Um, I've been on 300 podcasts in the last year. Wow. And in doing that, one of the, the things that I didn't even realize was an advantage of doing it until uh, most recently, I had an audit of my website done by a, a web developer mm -hmm. who is taking over the design of my website. And um, my website is bad. Like it was the first thing he opened it up and he's like, well, the good news is it loads fast. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's good. And he's like, and, but all the rest of this is confusing. People don't know what they're doing. There's no clear call to action. Like he was ripping the visual um, aspects of my website. And rightly so it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not a good website right now. And that's by the way, not my web designer's fault. So, uh, you know, if she's listening, no, it's, it's my fault because I keep giving her bad direction and she keeps going, okay, well, that's what you want. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I want. Um, so I was having this audit done and then he looked at what my SEO ranking was and it was through the roof. He goes, how do you have that kind of authority within your space? I said, I don't even know what you're talking about. And he started digging in. He's like, you're backlinked. Your website is backlinked on over 300 websites. And the majority of that is coming from Apple and Google. What have you done? 
I said, oh, um, I do a lot of podcasts. And so every on my call to action, everybody puts my website in their thing. And just because of that, that single thing, when you Google my name right now, and by the way, don't use Google as the term, when you do an internet search of my name right now on whatever platform you choose, uh, um, I'm the first 15 results on top of the page. And I haven't paid anything for that. And when you think of being an author and having authority within your space to have organically somebody type in your name and you be the, the top bill that comes in, a, in an internet search without having to pay for all of this SEO optimization and all of these, you know, the things that everybody tells you you need to do. I got that strictly on the fact that every podcast is linking my name, my image, my book, and my website together. So they're backlinking it to Amazon. They're backlinking it to my website. Amazon is obviously going to be like, hey, look at all this traffic. And that's how I've been able to push and promote my book so successfully is utilizing the power of other people's audiences, other people's platforms, and other people's links to my website to really push my SEO ranking. It's been unbelievable. In fact, it's it's one of those things that I've utilized so much that I'm actually teaching it as a free challenge now. So every month, me and my business partner, uh, Michael Harris, uh, have been putting on a free three-day challenge for authors so that they can replicate what I've been doing. Because every other, I even paid... Um, over $5,000 a month for a PR rep to get me, you know, on the, the quote unquote, big shows, the national news media and everything. And as, as good as that was for credibility, none of it compared to the volume of podcasts that I did to keep my name relevant in search engines. That's awesome. Because lots of people think that the other methods are, are what will propel them, you know, in the business of writing. And so I think it's very important that you noted that to our audience that appearing on podcasts, whether they're the ones that are visual or not, is very helpful in book promotion. So I think it, it yeah, I, it, to me, I think it's the key critical component. I think, um, and, you know, outside of a, a regular book tour, which can be very hard. Yes, I think this is this is the best way. I mean, there's nothing you, you get you gain visibility so rapidly so quickly. I mean, I was uh, th over 3 million um, social followers, and over a quarter million episode downloads uh, is what I got last year doing the amount of, of podcasts that I did. And so even if somebody's like, well, I can't get crazy like Tyler, I can't go like 300. Well, even if you did 10% of what I did, mm -hmm. you'd be on 30 shows, 300,000 um, social followers and 200 or 25,000 downloads. That's still a very significant impact that you could have on your sector, you know, promoting your book, whether that's fiction or nonfiction. That is information that the audience needs. Wow. So what advice do you have for new authors? Um, it depends on the stage that they're at. If they haven't yet began to write, start writing. And it doesn't have to be perfect. Just get it out there. The, it, you know, you'll never have a perfect book, so stop trying. Get, get your book and um, 
done is better than perfect in every scenario. If you've got it done and it's just sitting there and you don't know what to do next, reach out for help from people who have done it. You know, there are a lot of resources that are out there for people with a manuscript that don't know whether they want to self-publish or get a publisher. They want to go the hybrid route uh, or route. Uh, you know, I, there are so many options that are available to them if they just do some research and it doesn't have to cost a lot of money. That's the other thing. Yeah, at the very least, you can get it up on Kindle or Amazon, and that doesn't cost you anything and starts to generate revenue fairly quickly. So um, there, the barrier to entry to be a published author is not as arduous as it used to be. In fact, it's remarkably easy. And uh, just reach out for help. And if you've got it published... And you're like, now what? You know, I've got this book. I sold four copies last month and I sold six the month before. And I don't know why my mom bought 10 copies of my book, <laughs> right? You're that, if you're in that scenario, um, again, reach out for help. There are so many author communities. Your show is an excellent resource, T. Like, you know, people can come, they can listen, they can listen to other people's journeys, they can learn from it. There, there's so many resources out there. So it, it, no matter where you are in your journey, reach out for help. Um, but if it's, if you're stuck at the very beginning, just start writing and, and the rest will, will come. Um, and that would be, that'd be my biggest advice that I could give to any author, regardless of how, where they are in their journey or how many books they've published. Good advice. So my last question is, are you currently writing any new books? Actually, there's one more after that. And um, you alluded to the fact that you were working on something. So I'll let you answer that first, and then I'll go to the final question. Yeah, so again, and this- Jeopardy for some reason. <laughs> yeah, this one, and this goes back to, um, to what I had said in one of the first questions that you asked, what inspires me? Right. What inspires me to write the newest book that I'm writing on, uh, and we're calling it Podcast Mastery, is uh, specifically because of my experience and being on the, the 300 podcasts, seeing my um, organic reach grow exponentially over the last 12 to 16 months, and how incredibly easy it was, too. Like, it is, does not take a lot of time for me to slot out two hours a day to do two to three podcasts and do that five days a week. You know, if you are an entrepreneur, if you're a pu published author, if you are, uh, you know, if, if you are an author of fiction or nonfiction, it doesn't matter if this is, this is what your vocation of choice is. You should be able to find that time. I would hope to promote you and your work so that you can do more of your work. And uh, you know, two, like I said, two hours a day, you do that. Uh, you know, I did the first time we did the challenge, we called it the hundred by hundred. So we did a hundred podcasts in a hundred days. And, um, and people were like, you can't do that. I'm like, actually you can two podcasts a day, five days a week is 10 podcasts a, a week. You do that for 10 weeks, which is just, you know, that's two and a half months. It's not even three months of work. It's not even an entire quarter. And then if you can coordinate that with all of your, um, uh, with your hosts that are on the show, because most of these are pre-recorded, and you say, if you could please launch this on this day, 
or stagger it out. So like I'm, I'm constantly having an episode being released. I usually, I, I usually have an episode a day um, or at least two to three a week that are coming out because of, of how I've recorded. And some of these ones I've recorded three or four months ago, but they're coming out now. Mm-hmm. And so that's constantly keeping my website fresh and relevant on search rankings, which is keeping me at the top of those searches, which is making my material the, the most relevant uh, possible. And on top of it, I'm getting great content on top of it. So if you have writer's block, go on a podcast, talk to a host, they'll unlock it right quick. We're going to ask you uh, some amazing questions. It'll get your, your creative juices flowing. And uh, you know, you can, you can really hone your, your craft that way. Um, So yeah, that's the book that's in the, in the works that I'm, that I'm in the process of writing. And then the revised edition of the power to speak naked is, is coming out. Um, either I, I believe we're targeting September and if it, if it's not September, it'll be February of next year. Uh, one of those two publishing cycles. So we'll look for that. Um, so the last question is, it's kind of like twofold. Where can my audience find your books and find out more about you? And in conjunction with that, you spoke on the fact that you do lots of things. You're not just an author. So you're an actor. Okay. You're a musician of sorts. You're in a band. (laughs) So here's your chance to promote everything that you do, not just the writing component. You're a film star. I, I found that out after speaking to you. So you can promote anything and everything that you're doing. Well, the nice thing is, uh, because I have done as many podcasts as I have, that's a real simple organic search. You just type in Tyler Foley. You'll see everything that I'm doing right now because I am the 15 results, including my IMDb page, which discusses film work that I get to do. Um, to your first question, how can people uh, either get a hold of me or get the book? Um, fastest way to learn about me and what I'm doing and various things that I'm doing is to go to seantylerfoley.com and Sean is spelled the proper Irish way. S-E-A-N-T-Y-L-E-R-F-O-L-E-Y.com. And that's going to be the quickest and fastest way to find me. You will, if you go there, and anybody who comes there from you, T, if if they do me this favor first, they're listening on some device right now. If they hit pause right now and give you a five-star review and let me know what it is about T's talk time that they're really enjoying, more specifically, let you know, uh, so that you can bring on authors and, and other people within the publishing industry who can provide insight uh, to, to these. And, and if you're, you know, even some of your other shows, like what, what value is your audience getting from it? So be very specific with your five-star review, but please, please, please give Teresa a five-star review. If you're willing to do that for me, then if you come to SeanTylerFoley.com, right on the front page, we have a link to my Endless Stages Facebook group. If you come through that, I will give you a free PDF download of The Power to Speak Naked, so you can get the book for free. You can get access to my Drop the Mic training series, which, again, I will make available to you for free. Typically, we charge a couple hundred bucks for it, but I want to make sure that everybody gets uh, access to it, at least the first seven episodes of it. They're very easy to digest. They're only five minutes. They have very actionable tips and techniques for you to be able to get more comfortable public speaking. 
Uh, and in the Endless Stages Facebook group, I go live for 20 minutes every Tuesday at noon Pacific, 3 Eastern to train people on how to be more effective public speakers. So that is my gift to them, but only if they give you a five-star review. So that's a quick way to get my book. And that's a quick way to get my book for free. If you want to support um, the Mackenzie Foley Graduation Fund, and I'm always happy for people to do that because my daughter's school is very expensive and you want to buy a physical copy of the book. Um, I would strongly encourage everybody. It's available. Uh, my publisher, Morgan James, did a wonderful job of getting my book into stores, not only nationwide in the United States, nationwide in Canada, but internationally. You can go to any bookstore and pick up my book. If they don't have a copy physically on the shelf, they're able to order it in. And so my first suggestion would be to go to your local book retailer. It doesn't have to be one of the big box ones. Go to one of your local book retailers and, and ask them to pick up a copy. I'm sure they could use your support. If you are if you enjoy the convenience of shopping from your home and want something delivered to you, but you would like the warm, fuzzy feeling of being able to order a book from your local book retailer as opposed to one of the big box guys or uh, Jeff Bezos' site. And let's face it, Jeff just went to space in a phallic-shaped rocket. He doesn't need any more of your money. Um, so, But your local book retailer probably does. Your mom and pop shop is probably struggling, particularly over the last two years. Um, they are could very potentially be on the brink of closing and shutting down. So any bit of money that we can support them with is good. And so if you like to do the online shopping, but you want to do good and support your local book retailer, I would advise everybody to go to bookshop.org. If you go to bookshop.org, it doesn't matter what book you're trying to pick up. If it's my book, if it's the revised edition of my book when it comes out in September, if it's you know anything, one of T's books that she's published, you want to get uh, a, a really good book out there um bookshop.org will connect you with your local book retailer and allow you to have the convenience of shopping online where it comes directly to you but that sale will is paired with your local book retailer in your area and they get the credit for the sale super bonus to it my book is actually cheaper on bookshop.org than it is on jeff bezos's site or any of the big box stores so if you go there you can actually save about a dollar off of the retail price regularly it retails for 17.95 i think on bookshop.org right now it's 16.50 further further bonus a percentage of the proceeds of every book sold through bookshop.org goes into a pooled fund that any book retailer that is struggling can reach out to for aid and assistance so you're not only are you supporting your local book retailer by ordering through it, but you're supporting all local independent book retailers um, throughout the United States. So this is only good, bookshop.org, unfortunately, is only good for your U.S. listeners. If they're international, unfortunately, they won't be able to use it. But for your U.S. listeners, the next time you're thinking you need to buy a book, whether it's The Power to Speak Naked, one of Teresa's books, or any other book that you're looking to get, if you could go to bookshop.org, you're saving money, shopping local, and providing aid for local independent bookstores everywhere in the continental United States. And for all of those reasons, I would encourage everybody to go to bookshop.org to pick up the next book that you're going to purchase, regardless of what it is. Okay, that's awesome. Um, and so in ending, I would like to be one of the first people to wish you and all of the men in our audience a happy Father's Day coming up this Sunday. Enjoy well, your time with your daughter and your wife and your family. And um, 
I hope they give you all the adoration and love that you deserve. <laughs> Thank you so much, T. I appreciate it. Yeah, we have a really good play date planned, so I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And so enjoy and be well. And as always, I'd like to say to the audience and to Tyler, I'll talk to you later.